I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show with Stephen Goldsmith and Gareth Barker. All things Sunderland. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast, the preview show with Sun FM, where we are going to preview the upcoming game against Middlesbrough. We're also going to look back at the Bolton game on Tuesday. Another defeat, of course. You wouldn't expect anything else. We have other things to talk about as well. News has just surfaced before we came um, on air, really, that Ellis Short is possibly prepared to give the club away for free. Uh, is that an acceptance of relegation or not? We'll see. We'll discuss that. We've got some guests to talk to tonight. On a scale of one being we'll be all right and ten being we're definitely going down, where are you, Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo, on the scale of acceptance of relegation after um, that result the other night? Probably six or seven. Quite low. Quite low indeed, yeah. yeah. I think. I think there are... There are some terrible, terrible teams in the championship, of which Sunderland are one. Of which we've just lost to one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at the moment, Sunderland are going down. I think we can all see that. But when the gap is is still as small as it is, mm-hmm. even when you're losing game after game after game and the gap's not really budging, that tells you you're still winning with a chance. If if you can somehow put that little run together at the moment, Sunderland don't look like they're going to do that. But you never know if if the, if something breaks for them. The quality of the opposition means there is the opportunity there to string a couple of wins together that can change it. Now, that's obviously the the very optimistic reading of it. The The downside is that you can't see where the goals are going to come from. We saw the other night the team played pretty well, but there was nobody in that side who had the confidence to take that chance. Um, we're talking about a front line that has probably about nine or ten senior goals between them in their entire career which is going to be a big problem. And clearly, defensively, still not a goalkeeper you can rely on. No, certainly not. And we'll get on to that. And we'll get on to the quality of opposition and um, some of the players who've come back into the Sunderland team who perhaps can boost the cause. Michael Loff is also with myself and Gareth tonight. Um, I ran into Michael at the game. Surprise, surprise. Uh, like that you would run into Michael at a away game. Mm-hmm. Um, He's just there outside like, just, the ground, just, isn't he? Just give, just give me a number, Michael. Where are you on the uh, on the scale of relegation acceptance? Is 10 being total acceptance? Yes. Yeah, I, I think I'll go with Phil, 7, possibly an 8. I think the worry with this squad is it's just I don't think we've got the mental toughness to string a run together and even... To, to get a win, I mean, we've talked before on the show about if you could handpick a team to play, etc, etc, but on Saturday, you couldn't pick a worse team to play, I don't think, than Middlesbrough, because mm. they'll be really up for it, obviously, they see it as a derby, it's probably their biggest game of the season, and it's just, I've just got just a horrible image of just like 3,000 Borough fans just having the wheel of a time in the upper tier of the North Stand as well, sat there like 2-0 down by half time. Like the Celtic game, pretty Yeah, season. basically, The yeah. last thing you want is, a, at the moment, is a game against a, a Pulis side. And you know that that's what we've it's got to face. Pep Guardiola size. Well, at least <laughs> at least you can get beaten like but with 
you know, skill and ability and all that. Whereas I'm not saying that Millsra haven't got that, but we're going to be our biggest failing this season has been our failure to compete physically with teams. Um, aside from the mental aspect, as, as Mickey's highlighted there, um, and you know we're, we're, we're weak and we're soft and we go, you know, we go under straight away as soon as we put any sort of pressure and. You no, know, Pulis teams notoriously. You know that's what their main attribute is to to get in get in the opposition's face and, and make it difficult. So, you know, I think unless we, we step up, I mean, talking about the mental fragility side of things, at least when at Bolton, I don't know if it's because Bolton were the worst team we've played. That was the worst performance from an opposite opposition side I've seen this season. Um, and I don't know if it's because they were so <laughs> awful, but. At least we didn't. Our heads didn't go down after we conceded. You know, we, we were the dominant side in the entire game. Um, we were just in camp, really, to the st- extent where Chris Colgan made substitutions, where he was putting George Honeyman at right back. We had all the strikers on. We had McGeady on. Um, we had all the attacking options we could have on the pitch, and we weren't. We weren't really that put that much under pressure by by Bolton. So. You know, it was a sign of the times, but we still couldn't. We just couldn't. You know, we looked like we could have been there now, not as the cliche goes, and still not have scored. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think that's my chief concern for all the possession we had and for all the territory we had. I never had a spell of five or ten minutes where I thought, like, we're going to score here. And it's just, as as you said, pointing out there, it's just quite quite depressing, quite drab. And I think another disappointing thing the other day, although I agree the performance was much better, I don't think one individual player took that game by the scruff of the neck and really took the game to Bolton. And I think that's what that game was absolutely crying out for. Do we have such a player? Well, this is the problem, though. It doesn't, doesn't really matter whether he was on the pitch or not. Somebody at some stage has to stand up and be accountable. That's my take on anyway. Brian McNair. Brian McNair. He used to play for Manchester United back in the day. Paddy McNair. Uh, his inclusion. I know we had a discussion about this mid-game. Uh, Michael, Phil, what, what do you think of that? Because I thought he made a massive difference to our midfield. Even, I thought it was telling that he was blown out of his backside quite late on and he, he remained on the pitch because Sunderland had been cut open through the middle far too many times this season and even his mere presence prevented that from happening to the extent it has been, has done previously. Yeah, I thought, he was re- I thought he was really, really good in the first half. Obviously, I thought he faded as the second half went on. That's what you'd expect when he's missed seven or eight games. I think you can see what what Coleman tried to do really in bringing both Coney and McNair back. He he wanted the aerial both threat because well. yeah he, mm. yeah Coney was very very good. You could see the Bolton. There wasn't much subtlety about the play, and McNair just added that bit of height, that bit of strength, and won a lot of second balls, which is something that Sunderland have not had anywhere near enough of this season. And it's kind of what you come back to really. You know, Coleman's put his team out expecting that game, and they look like they've got the measure of the opponents. Bolton aren't really doing. Much and then the goal goes in. Okay, it's a handball, but your keeper's got to stop it, um, and you're back to square one. Um, and unfortunately, Sunderland are in a position where their attacking options are so limited that if they concede the first goal, it's, it's very, very difficult for them to get something out of the game. Goalkeeper, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you do? Um, Strike check. He'll have a go next. I mean, <sighs> they'll be on to the, other, the one of the other young lads who've never heard of by the end of the season. They've had, they'll have had a go. So many of them. I think the it's become. I think the problem is because it's both the other two have been so regularly poor that now the other ones come in. It's like right, let's have all eyes on him. Even in games where he has nothing to do, 
where he hasn't really since he's been here. You know, he's get it's all his performance analysed. Goals he should he's not going to save. Um, you know, again he's getting criticism for those like shot right into the bottom corner. It's like, oh well, could he have done better? Well, no, not really. We're only we're only analysing that aspect of his game because how how bad the other two have been. <coughs> then we get to Tuesday night. You know, and he just looks like the other two. I mean, chesting the ball into the net for you know from a, a ball that's that's taken a, a little nick in front of him now. It it's confidence-wise, you just got to hope that he can be strong enough because well, he's he made a good save. Well, he, made, half, he made a fantastic save. By the way, the mark. <laughs> what was happening there? They're pushed up by that point. I, I know, but a little bit leeway, I think, with the chasing the game so much. He was standing alone in the middle of the box. If it was nil-nil, like ten minutes in, mm. then, then yes, I, I can kind of forgive them for leaving well, themselves it was a, a little bit open when they're chasing the game. But it was a great it save. Was a fantastic so save. Hopefully, and, and Coleman felt that be fair of him didn't throw him under a bus in any way, shape, or form, um, and he put it all on the referee, didn't he? Which I think was the right thing to do. Myself and Michael were driving home, and from and I actually said to Michael, sometimes press conferences with. Um, Chris Coleman can be quite intense. He's a very, very passionate person, and he says the right things. Uh, the fans want to hear. And I did say, I hope after that game, he just comes and says, "Look, it was what it was. We we played all right. We couldn't have tried anymore. We just got to keep going." And that was the the tone that, yeah, he, that he opted for. Absolutely, and I think it's a positive thing because you know that when someone play poorly, he won't come out and try and mask it, and he won't try and deflect from it, and. That allows him in scenarios like the other night to be able to come out and say, actually, you know what, I thought we did okay because he's earned, he's almost earned the right to do that because you know that if the team had gone missing, he he, he would come out and say it. Listen, he's got to he's got to keep faith in Lee Camp really because that's Sunderland's best bet. I mean, you know, I, I really do believe that the goalkeeper issue is one. If Sunderland go down, it'll be a massive, massive, massive factor in it. It's cost them points time and time again. Well, so the- I think back to the Millwall game yeah. before Coleman came in, Sunderland. Battered Millwall at it, a better team by a mile. Chucked two goals in and dropped two points, and it's been like that all season. And I think you've got to stick with Lee Camp, and you've got to hope that he's got the personality and the strength to, to come back from it and, and find a bit of form. Um, you know, I, I don't think Coleman's got an, op- an option really, but to try and stick by him. You look at the Millwall game and the Bolton game. Essentially, we've dropped what three, four points there across those two games from terrible goalkeeping errors. Those four points that you're out of the bottom three, you're not in the bottom three. It's a completely different conversation, and that that's the margin. And it's not just been those games though. Bristol City at home, QPR at home, um, Brentford away yeah. um, for the free kick. Um, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Some would blame Reuter for the goal away at Hull. Um, even even Bolton at home, Sammy Amiobi beats him from twenty five yeah. yards. Like well, thirty bottom. yards bottom left corner. He, you know, didn't look like he had a lot of room to to hit there. Um, yeah. You know, the question marks over right in the Sheffield United game when we lost that one. Some of his goalkeeping, um, the Cardiff game where he comes and tries to punch a ball <laughs> and misses it, and we go one nil down, and after half time end up losing four. But, you know, there's so so many. So many keeper errors have proved pivotal in in the games that we've played at key times, to the extent where you have to say if we had a half de- a half decent goalkeeper, like Vito Manoni. Well, but then 
you know, reports of his performances at Redden haven't exactly been Not great. Not to the level that we've sunk to. Well, let's remember Vito Manone's last contribution in the Sunderland shirt was to let the ball go through his oh, legs in a pre-season look, game. Manone is capable of a stinker, of course, as we all yeah. know that. But he's far and away better than the keepers we have well, when, on our books at the moment. Yeah. Well, I think for me, with a goalkeeper issue, it's not just the goals that they concede. It's not just an outright kind of Roy McGrath own goals and gaff style compilation, which we could have created ourselves this season. Really, it's um, like I've said before: if you don't have faith in your goalkeeper, that anxiety spreads throughout the back four and it spreads throughout the team. And when you've got young, inexperienced defenders like we have at the club, if they've got no confidence in the goalkeeper, then as I say, that spreads and and it makes them look a lot poorer as well. And as I say, I don't. I don't have a lot of sympathy for a lot of our defensive players this season, but like you say, if I had a goalkeeper who we could rely on to come and um, alleviate some of the pressure off them, come and take some crosses, command the area, organise the defence properly and do things that a semi-competent goalkeeper should be able to do, then again, I don't think we're in this mess. It's not just the goals that directly contribute to, I think it's the overall like, kind of like picture. I mean, the goal, the goalkeeping department is, is a microcosm again for Sunderland. Yeah. They are where they are because they messed up last summer again. They had another terrible window. The other night, not one of the summer signings started the game because they made the same mistakes again. They went out and got players who haven't been playing first-team football for a long time, players who were always going to pick up niggles, players who always needed time to get their confidence back, and they were all thrown in the team together, and this is what happens. Yeah. And the situation at the club, there's lots and lots of reasons why they are where they are, but ultimately it's because they botched the window again, and, yeah. and they had to go out and do too much in January, which is difficult to do and that's that's the bottom line for me and nothing sums out more than the goalkeeping department I'm on a, an 8 I would say on the scale of accepting I relegation I I'm an 8 as well Yeah, um, and, and what was sad for me at the end of the game just standing reflecting on things were that Bolton was so unbelievably bad and we never looked like we were going to break them down I mean they were getting the ball and they were spooning it up vertically in the air the fullbacks when they got it it was like it was like watching. It was like watching Sunderland lose to a side two divisions below them in the FA Cup. Yeah. That was what it felt like. And, that, and, that, and that's why I'm probably only at a six or a seven, just because that gives me some hope that they might be able to get some wins between now and then. Of course, you can come straight back and say, "Well, they've been playing these teams all season," which is which is a fair point. But I mean, listen, and what the Bolton game summed up for me, and we talked about McNair's influence. If Sunderland somehow stay up. This summer, they need to learn the lessons and get some more athleticism and physicality in yep. the team because it's this season. There's so many times when you compare the two teams and the physical strength, and it's just a complete mismatch. They've not they've not been ready to play this championship season. They've made the same mistakes again, and if they somehow manage to stay up, they've got to address that. Absolutely, Absolutely. got to address it. Sorry, Gareth looked at me there. I thought he was going to burst in with something, but no. it said we had dead air for a couple of seconds, which is never a good. No, thing. Well, do you want to? Do you want to hear from... Uh, so I caught up with um, Chris Weatherspoon, um, who wrote the, the book Shortchanged, um, and he's got a, a bit of a handle on the um, financial situation. And this is mainly in reaction to... Yes, to this is purely in reaction to the news today. circulating that Ellis Short is prepared to give the club away as long as whoever comes in to take it off of his hands will clear the debt. Absolutely. Yeah? So it's apparently, according to Chris, from what he's read, it's not the debt, it's... Not it doesn't include Ella Short's debt. It includes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The external Does he death. explain all this now? He does explain it all. Let's Shall we hear from then. Chris? Okay, so I'm joined by Chris Weatherspoon, who's been on the show himself a few times, an author of um, Short Changed, which I believe is sold out in paperback, so you have to buy it on Kindle, I believe. Is that the correct case, Chris? That is correct. That is yes. correct. If, if you're so inclined, you can pop on Amazon and buy it. Well, if you're so inclined, because you're going to listen to Chris now, tell us everything, <laughs> all the, all the the crack around the, the situation that's arisen today. Um, Ellis Short apparently has said that he will give Sunderland Football Club away for free. Um, now, what are the implications around this? Because obviously there's a lot of debt at the club still. You know, what? why is it appealing? Why wouldn't it be appealing, even though you get to inherit a football club for nothing? Granted, it's Sunderland, so there's no appeal whatsoever, some might argue, but you know. <laughs> uh, I think probably the crucial thing um, well, at least the crucial thing when it first broke was whether or not, um, when when Short has apparently said, whoever takes it on would obviously have to take on substantial debt. And the issue would be, does he mean the debt that's owed to him as well as the debt that's owed externally, or does he just mean the debt that's owed externally? Um, since, and I could be wrong, it might have changed again, but the latest I saw was that the BBC is suggesting he does actually mean just the external debt. So, basically that, the, the problem we kind of have is that any set figures that we've got uh, about a year and a half, maybe two years out of date, they date back in July 2016, um, the next set of numbers that they're going to get, uh, which, they should, which should be released in the next couple of months, even they'll only go up to July of last year. But you can kind of make, based on the way the clubs acted in the transfer market and in wages and stuff, you kind of make an estimation. And really, and it is a rough guess, but when we think about it, you know, the clubs spent what they, they've committed to about 30, 35 million quid under Moyes. I know they didn't pay a lot of it up front, but they have committed to it. They still had a big wage bill last year, even if they chopped it down. So the likelihood is that not a lot has actually come off that external debt. So in the last set of accounts, it showed that Short had basically put in about 15 million quid of his own money um, to kind of pay down one of the instalments that was due on that debt. Um, so at the minute, you've got basically Short's owed around 69 million, and this external lenders is owed about 68. And by the sounds of it, what Short's saying is that he, he would sell the club for free or he'd sell it for a pound because they have to have some sort of consideration. Um, 
and the only debt that anyone would take on would be that external debt. Now that's obviously that's obviously a positive because it would mean that they're not also having to pay nigh on seventy million to short themselves. Um, one of the issues with it is, I mean, the, the debt itself, the external debt, does have a really high rate of interest. I think it's it's seven and a half percent plus LIBOR, which works out not far short, about eight and a half percent. So in the last accounts, that was about eight million pound a year. Now. If that debt hasn't come down by any great margin, they're going to be paying a similar level of interest. Then, obviously, considering how much, we all know how much the club's revenue is going to fall now that they've dropped out of the Premier League, that that would still be an issue. So, I think it's kind of the fact short is supposedly saying that he wouldn't be owed back um, what he's loaned in is. I mean, yeah, that, that makes it attractive, but you still do have that external debt that it either needs paying down or it needs refinancing, um, and I think it's next summer, summer 2019. So essentially, if somebody, so the, you know, if, if Sunderland Football Club at £50 million was appealing to somebody um, a week ago, or ho- however many days ago it was where, where Short came out and said that, the club would be available for fifty million pounds. Some would have us yeah. believe. Um, essentially, somebody could come in and and pay that fifty million pounds off the the sixty eight million debt surely straight away, and then they're only working with eighty million pounds debt, which obviously brings the overheads down. We've got the parachute payments to come. I mean, realistically, yeah. is this a step towards yeah. Sunderland being debt free in the next two or three years? Is that to, if if somebody came in with the right money? Because we, if it's free, realistically, we we could go in right. I'll have it for a pound, but you need. You need ev- you yeah, need everything well, yeah, in the background. Exactly. Well, I think um, yeah, I think realistically, yeah, like that. That is one of the problems. Is of course whoever comes in. I mean, as we've seen this season, even in this division, you need to spend a bit of money to compete. So, by all and obviously we don't have any concrete figures on this, but the club doesn't appear to be um, to be kind of covering its debts month to month. By all accounts, Short is still having to put money in this season, um, which would mean that the, the club's run at a loss from month to month. So whoever comes in would have to fund that shortfall as well, as well as having the money to say, right, look, we need to put some money into the playing squad. We need to, for example, we need to pay off, we need to pay off Jack Rodwell. We need to get rid of him, you know. So it, from a kind of buying the club standpoint and like not taking into like day to day operations, yeah, you realistically if somebody had fifty million quid they could walk in they could walk in tomorrow, pay down fifty million of this debt, that takes your debt down to what, yeah, like you say, eighty million just shy of twenty. Um but of course the issue is that the club's still losing money month to month. Um I think to be honest, everything that the club's done definitely this season and probably since Bain and Moyes arrived has been geared at getting that external debt down. So I think Short's plan initially would have been, look, we'll get we'll get this debt down. Uh, I, I very much doubt he expected us to be getting relegated again this year, potentially get relegated again. Um, so I imagine the plan was, look, we'll get the we'll get this external debt down, um, and then that does make the club a lot more of an attractive proposition. Um, clearly, he's. Got to the point where he's completely fed up, and and 
I mean, unsurprisingly, really, he knows everybody wants him out. So it's as if it's a change of tact from, OK, we'll get the external debt down to, I tell you what, we'll wipe out what's over to me. Or it's, it's over to Drummerville, which he, he owns a lot of. And um, whoever comes in will we'll have to deal with the external debt. But no, I think, I think what you see, the, the premise is right, but they would, st- they would still need more. Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show, with Stephen Goldsmith and Gareth Barker. All things Sunderland. Thanks to Chris. Forget, he, he did, he knocked that together in his brain for me in about 45 minutes. But, you know, it's interesting that he does say, from what he, reading between the lines, the suggestion there, that it would just be external debt that would have to be paid, so essentially you'd be getting Sunderland for £68 million plus the interest. Um, so I guess if you had the fifty million to buy and you're worried about the sixty-eight million, and then the sixty-nine, I think he said it was, that's owed to Ellis, then all of a sudden, you know, that fifty million quid, you know, clears off that bit of that debt. There's eighteen million quid. You've got to pay off in service. You know, it's idealistic, and I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than I've just described it. And I'm sure Chris uh, did a better job of it than me. But you know, leave it. Leave all that to the. Leave all that to the. The big boys. If you're not that way inclined, it's hard yeah. to get your head round all that, yeah. isn't it? Just drives me crackers. It's not my thing. Drives him crackers. It does lose his sleep at we're night. Gonna, we're <laughs> talk about the uh, Middlesbrough game. Pondering and still completely wisdomless. We're just going to comment on on recent developments over a cancelled uh, live <laughs> Q and A, where Martin Bain and Chris Coleman were going to come and speak to us in the Peacock uh, in Sunderland as. I'm sure you know we have an affiliation with the Peacock Pub. We have ex-players come on before the home games on a Saturday. Uh, Darren Williams this week, by the way, because we're playing Borough, so why not? It seems apt. And um, we can't still give you the club's reason for pulling out because they haven't released the statement they said they were going to release. The reason might be different if we do this now. Well, well, that's the thing. They've got the power of second voice now because we're, yeah. we're going to just say what our thoughts are on it. It does Sorry. give the club the power <laughs> like, of second voice so yeah. they can totally use this narrative and then decide to say whatever they want for the reasons um, they've decided to pull out. We've been told, anecdotally, verbally, what the reasons are. But we've been asked not to share them because it is until they're confirmed and right, and it's, it's speculation, I guess. And this but we, we know, yeah. we know, we do know the reasons. Yeah. Um, and we're speaking on behalf of ourselves here, and not the venue, who helped us put this together, and and took control of it. But as soon as Chris Coleman was appointed as Sunderland manager, myself and Gareth said, wouldn't it be great to get him on the show or to get him into the Peacock to have a bit of a chat with him? I mean, I, I could speak to him on behalf of Son of M or something. I'm, I'm accredited, so I could go to the press conferences if I wanted. But what we mean is sit down, have a proper chat about football, about his career, um, about his football and philosophies, things like that. So you, you see him do videos of stuff like this, don't you, online? And he, he clearly enjoys it. Anyway, so the idea was to do that and forget about current affairs in a way, forget about the finances and the problems we're having and just talk to him. So the connection with the Peacock helped with it. And they were very good in making contact with the club to propose the idea. We got word quite early that Chris Corman was interested, which was great for us. Next thing we heard, the club had agreed to do it. So marvellous, we thought. Apart from, it wasn't necessarily marvellous straight away. We got a call telling us there were conditions made by the club 
in order for the event to go ahead. One was that Martin Bain would have to come along and talk as well. Second one was questions had to be submitted the day before the event. So no questions on the night. Thirdly, which <laughs> was interesting, they wanted their own compare to do the event and not us. So, as you can imagine, we decided not to attach our name to the event at this point. We explained that we wanted to ask the questions and said with respect, we didn't particularly want Martin being there. We wanted Chris Coleman there. This was a few weeks back um, when form was a little bit better. And End was, of January. There, there was yeah, less of an angry mob as well. Um, just just adding that in there. So we counter-proposed and said questions should be able to be asked on the night, but written down on cards and selected. So we weren't advocating an open floor where everybody could just ask what they wanted and it could have potentially turned the night um, chaotic, made it chaotic. But we wanted to compare the event, obviously, because it was our idea to get it also, in the chat room. should probably make it clear as well that we didn't never we never spoke directly with the club, so this was through, through the, the yeah. through the Peacock's third party that the clubs also associated with that they leveraged to try and make this yeah. happen. Yeah, so, so we use them. We would yeah. sit, we would speak to the we would go to our contacts. They would take this to yeah. To so club. when I'm saying the club come back, we kind of propose we are obviously using this third party the whole time, so we're indirectly communicating with the club, I guess. We stated. We thought Martin Bain was misjudging the mood of the fan base by thinking fans wanted him at this event. So they could hear again about why the budget is so low. This is information we've heard before. Response came back. Martin Bain has to be there or there is no event. Their own compare has to host the first half of the show, but we could do the second half of the show if we wanted, gather the questions in the manner we suggested and do the Q&A bit. We politely stated that we thought Martin Bain was misjudging the mood of the fan base by thinking fans would want him there. So they could hear again about why the budget is so low. This is information we've heard before. We even suggested to them Kevin Ball could do the event instead of Martin Bain because we know he's mates with Coleman. Kevin Ball trusts us, I, I like to think. He acted, he acted very professionally at a Q&A with Ellis Short last year, Kevin Ball, when he was there. He took his responsibility and his role for the football club very seriously and he didn't let that event get out of hand. So that would have been something we were happy with. Um, we understood why they wanted to protect themselves. You know, let's make that clear. We didn't want this to be an angry mob, but we reiterate that we didn't want Martin being there anyway. Um, the response came back. The event was agreed for a date in February to be confirmed. Our name would be attached to the event because we could manage the Q&A bit. So Chris Coleman, Martin Bain, they then said open floor questions apparently, which is something we didn't ask for. So eventually we thought it was all sorted, only it wasn't. Martin Bain then apparently, again this is through the third party, said he could only agree to this on 48 hours notice. He couldn't commit to something longer because of how busy he is. We politely stated we thought Martin Bain was misjudging the mood of the fan base by thinking fans would want him there so they could hear again about why the budget is so low. This is information we've heard before. Eventually they confirmed a date in March. By this point it didn't feel like it was our event at all. It was very much the third parties, which was fine, but we weren't we weren't going to do it. Myself and Gareth, we weren't going to do it. Um, it was through the venue, as I say, and we are grateful 
for their work. When we sat down and spoke about they've it, been, they've been messed around as much as anyone by, in this, by the way. And, yeah. You know, reputationally for ourselves and the venue, you know, it doesn't reflect very well in the football club, to be frank. Yeah. We decided then our paw prints were on enough of it to say we would be involved because we were going to do the second half, which is kind of what we do in our live shows anyway. Um, and we decided, right, okay, we'll do it. And then they came back, confirmed the date of March, and we announced it at the Peacock before the Brentford game. We then put it on Twitter on the same day. Now, Sunderland lost that game in horrific fashion. And everybody then attached themselves to this event. And, of course, the interest suddenly was on Martin Bain being there. Chris Coleman, who once upon a time we wanted to chat to about football, was almost like a sideshow. They suggested an open floor question policy. And at that point, we just thought, well, let them crack on. We'll stand back and watch and see what happens. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how this works out. Martin Bain wanted to be there, demanded to be there. So we thought, well, he set himself up here for whatever's coming next. Because fans suddenly wanted to ask him questions. All right. We tried to offer our input as people who have experience of hosting events, but mainly as fans who maybe understand the mood more than Sunderland Association Football Club appear to. Unfortunately, we can't expand on the reasons why the club have pulled out. We do know they might change the statement now and getting and and react to that little statement. This is we'll, all. We'll this, have to just wait and all see. this information is what we've been told in in the process in trying to make this happen. Um, and you know we're we disappointed because what you know everyone who knows us and what we do essentially wanted people will always have questions about the back back end of the club and the finances and all that. And but when we do these nights, generally. You know, it's it's more about talking about football. People yeah. want to come along and talk about football, and to have Chris Coleman in the room and, and doing that with people, we believe that Chris wanted to do it and was looking forward to it. From from what from what I understand, um, so it's a real shame that the fans aren't going to get the opportunity on this occasion to to do it. Um, what I would say as well that would never, you know, some obviously flippant replies to the to the tweets obviously that were put out advertising the. The event would never ever condone threats of violence no, no, no. and in the ground and, and away from the ground and on social media against Martin Bain at, at all. You know what I mean? It's, that's completely out of order. Um, but this is purely about, you know, and this isn't us trying to throw people under the bus or whatever. You know, I think that the position this week, you know, demanding transparency and, you know, the, there comes a, a, a point where. You don't want to feel as though you're part, you're a pawn or a part of some sort of PR exercise for the football club when you're invested in the football club like we are as supporters, and it's and our the people who listen to this show, um, and and the, on, on the other fans who don't listen to this show, I think, res, you know, out the respect for them, I think, you know, we we were very hesitant about doing some of the things that, you know, as it transpired, this event was going to be, um, and. We did think long and hard about you know what, what as Stephen stated what our involvement should be um, because you know it didn't feel right to to be somebody's puppet. Now I'm not saying that that was the case. Maybe it was well intentioned that I'm like, sure maybe it was, it was sure well it intentioned was. on the club's behalf. They want sure maybe they want to feel as though they can explain things and drive things forward. But like Stephen missed says, the point of what we wanted the night to be. Though. There's only so many times you can tell people this information before they start to get sick of hearing it and start ask harsher questions so and that's something we want we were 
we want desperately want to avoid. And it's it's not no offence to Martin Bain. I mean, I don't. He might be a canny bloke. We never met him. Don't know what he's like. But we didn't want him at that night because we knew for a fact it would draw the mm. questions that the, they won't want to answer. So it really they've brought it on themselves, and now everybody's missed out. You know, everybody's missed out, and it's you know it's it's. You know, it's a, it's a shame for everyone involved. I think I don't think anybody's come out of it very well. So, yeah, and that's me and Gareth speaking on behalf of the Wiseman Say podcast. Uh, nobody else, not the venue, not Son FM, yeah. nobody else. When we come back, we'll talk about the Borough game. Wiseman Say Son FM preview show with Stephen Goldsmith and Gareth Barker. All things Sunderland. Okay, Michael, you mentioned earlier that you couldn't think of a worse um, opposition team to play in this situation. I agree with that, absolutely one hundred percent. Phil, Gareth, do you? Well, I, I don't think Millsborough are anywhere near a Tony Pulis side yet. Um, mm. Obviously, I, you know, a lot of the guys I spend time with on the very North loud East. back and behind them, though, and a side certainly better than us at the moment. No, but I, I mean, in terms of what you were saying earlier about them being a very physical side, and you know, you associate certain things with Tony Pulis being very well drilled and what have you. I don't think they were anywhere near that stage yet. What they do have is much better players in Sunderland, mm. which obviously is a is a big concern, um, but I think I think you can get at Middlesbrough at the moment. I think the the key thing is you have to try and find a way to shut down Triore, <laughs> who currently is a Champions League player playing in the Championship. Um, the form in the, he's in at the moment is absolutely frightening. I noticed Neil Warnock um, they beat uh, Middlesbrough one 0 recently, and he essentially just played three left backs, just put three left backs on the pitch and just kind of queued them up that right hand side. So at the moment, I think Middlesbrough as a team aren't functioning very well. And so they get out of jail card is to give it a try or a. We um, didn't even play left back against Brentford. <laughs> yeah. We um, went the other way. Well, there's not many left backs in just Sunderland covering themselves in glory at the moment, so that's a that's a real concern. Um so in short, yeah, very, very, very difficult game, but perhaps not will Middlesbrough be a much better team this time next year under Tony Pulis, I suspect they will be. So I'm not completely downbeat. I'm just fairly downbeat. <laughs> Would be my assessment. <laughs> That's a positive statement when you're a Sunderland fan. I'm fairly downbeat, not really downbeat. I just it, it's got two 0 by half time written all over the game. Unfortunately, in my opinion, and I can't see, I can't see past that. Um, I can't see, even though there was a lot more positive signs. We're rubbish at home. Um, we can't play at home, um, as we saw against. It just gets worse and worse, and as we saw against Brentford. Um, and and I think the the psychological blow of that defeat at Bolton, um, you know, might be just too much for them. I think, given the fact that Middlesbrough are a good team, and and we aren't, and that, that you know everything else on top of it, it's not like we're playing an equal. You know, the, the team down the bottom, we we play them and we can't beat them. So, you know, we I think we it's got to, got to be one of them for we to get anything at all. It's gonna to have to be. We're gonna to have to be at our very, very best, and they're gonna to have to have an off day, and just have to hope the stars align. Any um, anybody got any strong opinions on what the team should be, what the starting eleven should be? Would you change? Would you deviate too much from the side that started against Bolton the other night? No, not hugely. I mean, obviously you've got one enforced change. Fletcher can't play. Um, Luai Luai's not fit, so I would just put Madger in, in yeah. straight in. I, I don't. I don't really have an issue with the shape of the team. I certainly think a third centre half against this Borough team, particularly someone like Corney, who's good in the air, very strong. I think you need that. I think you need McNair's 
physicality in yeah. midfield as well. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing someone like maybe Williams come in instead of Honeyman. So that's think, the change I would make. I think you need one. I think you need a slightly different dimension in that midfield. You need someone who's a bit almost looser in terms of it'll pick their moments to come in, play a little bit deeper and try and start moves, pick their moments to push on and offer a bit of support to the strikers. I think Williams is a much better much better bet in that sense. But I, 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 I'm, I certainly wouldn't deviate hugely from where they were against Bolton. They, do, they certainly need your corners and your McNairs against this yeah. middle spot. I mean, Madger in and Williams in, for, for the obviously for, this, um, for Fletcher who can't play because he, he's a Borough player. And... I, w- I would take out Honeyman like I said that's exactly the change I would make to the side Gareth I think yeah I agree I think he's getting a little bit lost in the responsibility maybe with Honeyman at the moment because he's only one radio he's a good sub to have as times. well let's be honest yeah. he's a good, his energy coming off the bench isn't a bad thing it feels harsh talking about dropping him because I think you know he probably deserves better than that in his performances this season but at the moment I think it just has to happen uh, you know, it just ha- he hasn't been in the best of form. He always tried. He's been trying. Um, last month he hasn't been great, um, and obviously now that with McNair coming back and and Williams coming back and, and Najari is signing, all of a sudden there's competition in that area. Um, so he's probably under threat. And I don't think Ajari is going to be fit again, is he? Or do you, do you know? It doesn't, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it would be a massive shock if he plays. Right. So so he's out and. So it looks like for, for me, Williams would come in. I thought, I think Williams is going to give you. I mean, I've been critical of him, but at least he's going to give you a bit of energy in there, and he's going to run around. Ball attention. And we, we haven't had enough people running around recently. So someone coming in to run around a bit, at home especially, and lift people. Away from home doesn't matter so much, but I think at home you need to see people need to see people busting a gut, and especially if you want to press, if you want to put a bit of pressure pressure on and start pressing, then. I think Williams is probably better placed to to do that. It's like, uh, sorry, it's about what you said before about ball retention. I think with Johnny Williams, I think he's a very good link man for the likes of a Sorrow and McGeady who are going to look to get on the ball. Whereas like your Catmulls and your Ethan Robsons that we can't really play that role. Whereas if you get Williams kind of 30, 40 yards from goal, then he can feed McGeady and the Sorrow, and we've got a better chance of like being able to get our middles a little bit in a bit more of a direct fashion. What was he like uh, today, Phil? Press conference today, Chris Coleman? Anything? Anything that stood out, what he was saying, what kind of mood was he in, what I, message was he trying to get across? I think um, Chris, Chris spoke really well about the club, as I think he has done since the moment he came in. I think a few people have picked up on the sense that maybe his demeanour's got a little bit worse. I've read in a few places. He's a human, isn't he? <laughs> well, I would say that's mostly come after games where they've been battered, and I think that's what you'd expect. I think he remains pretty bullish, to be honest. He remains pretty positive. You know, I, I'm, I, I firmly believe he's the best thing to happen to this yeah. club in years and years and years. And obviously, people have got a right to question certain selections, certain tactics, and what have you. We'll all, we'll all do that. But I think he's still got a fantastic, fantastic presence. He's still showing leadership. He's still fronting up. Um, and I think he's a, he's a fantastic person to have at the club. I think the club are very fortunate to have him. Um, and I, I don't see, I haven't seen a drop in his mood. I haven't seen an acceptance of defeat or a. Suggest any suggestions that he doesn't think he can do it? I think he does, um, and ho- hopefully, hopefully he can get it right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's his personality that isn't it. It's not gonna, it's not gonna change. Yeah, he's like that as a player. He speaks that he wants his players to be like that, I'd, so that's not gonna change. I, I don't think there's a miracle worker out there for Sunderland in terms of coming in with this squad of players and saying, right, bang, this is how we set up, this is what we do. Now everything's fine. I think Sunderland are well beyond that. Um, what Chris has got is over the period of time, he's got the 
he's got the charisma and the personality to to change the culture of the club and to get things right. Um, but it's not something that can just be fixed overnight, and you just have to hope that he can do enough and that the the, the injured players coming back and give him a little bit of a boost to, to somehow get them over the line. Worst case scenario, do you think? It's massively speculating at this point, but. Would you fear the worst in terms of Chris Coleman staying if it were the worst-case scenario to present itself? Well, uh, the, the important thing to say is at this moment we're speculating, I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. I don't, having spent time w- with Chris, I don't think he works like other managers. He's certainly not one of these who the be-all and end-all for him is getting back to the Premier League and staying there. He's been there, he's done that, he did OK. Um, but I think he thinks very differently. You only have to look at his career path, the clubs he's managed at to see that he makes his decisions in a different way. I personally believe that the opportunity, even if they went down to League One, the opportunity would be there to keep him if you could convince him that he had what he needed to bring the club back. I, I think he'd be up for the challenge over a two, three-year period of trying to get the club back. But what I have absolutely no doubt is is that he wouldn't stay if he didn't feel he'd be able to get what he needed, whatever that was, to put the club money. back right. Well, yeah, money to an extent, mm-hmm. yeah. Um so I, I, I don't think it's as clear-cut as, you know, or if, if they go down, you'll go. I certainly don't do that. I think you'd have the opportunity to convince them to stay. But clearly, you know, you would need you would need to give them certain assurances. And that those assurances might be coming from different people, hopefully. <laughs> you, you can only hope, can't you? You can only dream. I mean, we, we spoke a lot well, it's about saying... I say dream, it's going to happen. Well, it will happen. It definitely yeah. will happen. That's the thing. In the next 18 months... Ellis Short isn't going to be at Sunderland, so we just have to hope we're still in the championship and we've got the right people in at the top to to have an, you know wipe the slate clean and have another bash. Um, and, and that, like as Chris said himself, as long as Ellis is here, before he was uh, shut down <laughs> by the uh, internal uh, media, um, as, as long as Ellis Short's here, then nothing's going to change at the football club. So. You know, you just got to hope that he doesn't go well. You know, the change hasn't come quick enough, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to move on if a better opportunity comes along. Um, at the moment, I guess some would argue, well, your results haven't been that great, mate. So you know, don't go any high horse. Be, but I still think it'll be okay. Yeah, certainly yeah. for championship level. But, but I John, think he, John, a bit he, of good news, he, a little he, bit of good news. Yeah, he, he, he genuinely believes he, he, this club takes some stopping if momentum goes the other way. And to be fair, we've witnessed that ourselves. Yeah. So. You know, fingers crossed. Go on then, because we, we're going to go out yeah, now. We're going with some good news. Good news. Is that what you're saying? Darren Gibson. It's ahead of schedule, apparently. Oh, great. Okay. So we'll be back at the same when we're already down, probably. Well, no, apparently two or three weeks ahead of schedule. He's been out for five or six, apparently. So that means, what, three weeks, potentially? Yeah, two to three weeks, it looks like he might be back. Um, I never thought I would say this, but that's some that's a massive piece. He got himself in a position where, as far as I'm concerned, he was the first name on the team sheet. Yeah. Um, and there's a gaping chasm in this team for a midfielder who can put the foot on the ball slow the game down, dictate the tempo but it's the same old same old how many times we've been here, we'll need a few games to get up to match fitness and it'll take him a little yeah. while before he's etc etc so yeah, there's a there's a Jan Kirchhoff shaped hole in that team and there has been for a long time let's not talk about that I'll be honest I was I was Wondering what the good news was. I was hoping maybe something slightly better, but never mind. Thanks yeah. for listening. The club have put the Q. It's back on. The Q and A is back on. <laughs> we are getting paid um, ten grand each, so we we can club that together and buy the club for twenty grand. And then anybody who wants to chip in to clear that sixty-eight million quid off, then you know, be our guest. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
Wise Men Say, Sun FM Preview Show, with Stephen Goldsmith and Gareth Barker. All things Sunderland. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 